Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Today's video is sponsored by The Daily Upside, a totally free, high-quality daily finance newsletter. It can be read in just five minutes each morning. Visit the link in the description to learn more. Okay, so short squeezes have been all over the news this year, as retail investors banded together to spoil the fund for hedge funds in some well-known stocks. Short squeezes are not new though, they've been around as long as short selling has. In today's video we look at the most extreme short squeezes in market history to see what lessons we can learn. These are some of the most exciting finance stories you'll ever hear. Short selling involves borrowing stock from another investor and selling it in order to profit from a fall in the stock price. When you do this though you put yourself in a very risky position. A short squeeze is what happens when the stock rises dramatically, forcing short sellers to buy the stock back to limit their losses. In such situations, a trader has no choice. Staying in the position can mean bankruptcy. At number 10 on our list, we have Cornelius Vanderbilt and the Harlem Railroad. In 1862, Vanderbilt began buying the stock of the unprofitable Harlem Railroad at $8 a share. When he had bought enough shares to gain control of the company, he began to make improvements to the line. In 1863, the City Council of New York approved Vanderbilt's request to build a brand new line along Broadway to the Battery. The stock surged to $100 in a few days. Not a bad return. This approval meant that it was not only the only railroad entering New York City, but it would also be the only line running the full length of Manhattan. At the same time that Vanderbilt was buying the stock, members of the New York City Council, as well as members of the board of directors for the Harlem Rail itself, were selling the stock short. They had a plan to short the stock, repealed a permission to extend the track and make a fortune when the stock fell in price. In June of 1863, the city council executed their plan. They announced that the authorization for the rail extension was repealed. The stock fell from $110 to $72 that day. But the next day, the stock started to rise. Vanderbilt was buying. By the end of the day, the stock hit $97, the next day it reached 106 Realizing that they were outgunned, the city council reauthorized the track extension, trying to make peace with Vanderbilt, who now owned the company outright. Vanderbilt decided to teach them a lesson. By the end of the summer, Vanderbilt finally allowed the members of the city council to buy the stock back from him at $285 per share. Vanderbilt had his rail line and had made $5 million on the trade. At number 9 on the list, we have the story of how the Northern Pacific Railway squeeze led to an outright market panic. In May of 1901, there was a battle between Edward Harriman and James Hill to take control of the Northern Pacific Railway. 
Its stock price rose from $110 to $130 in the buying spree. Feeling the price rise was unwarranted, retail traders began shorting the stock. But Harriman and Hill were unconcerned. They had to win control of the company. By Tuesday, May 7th, the shares were bid up to $150. On Wednesday, they rose to $200 per share, even though the broader stock market had fallen. It became obvious on Thursday, May 9th, that more shares had been sold short than could be bought back in the market. The squeeze was on. The stock price rose quickly as short sellers rushed to cover their positions. The problem was that due to the battle for control, no shares were available. Harriman and Hill had cornered the market. The stock price was bid up $300, $500, $800 and finally $1,000 a share. The deadline to deliver shorted shares was at 2.15pm that day. Short sellers were forced to dump all of their other stocks due to their losses in Pacific Northern Railway. This set off a market-wide panic known as the Panic of 1901. Realising what could happen, the opposing parties called a truce. The brokerages announced that to maintain an orderly market, they would not force delivery at the deadline. Northern Pacific finally sold off. The short sellers were allowed to close their short positions at $160 a share, a lot better than the $1,000 where it had traded at the height of the panic, but still a substantial loss. Next up on our list, we have the story of the Piggly Wiggly short squeeze, an example of how sometimes everyone involved can lose. Piggly Wiggly was an innovative company. It was the first self-service grocery store in the United States. Almost everything you think of when you think of a supermarket comes from the Piggly Wiggly. Within six years of its founding, there were more than a thousand stores in the country. It then went public in 1922, but just around that time, a number of independent franchises of Piggly Wiggly went bankrupt. Traders on Wall Street saw this and began short-selling the stock with the belief that the business was overhyped and struggling. Clarence Saunders, the company founder, was furious when he learned about this and he decided to fight back. Now, Saunders had never traded a share of stock in his life at this point, but he borrowed $10 million and started buying up stock while allowing his brokers to lend those shares to the short-sellers. He was setting a trap. By the spring of 1923, he controlled more than 99% of the shares. He had basically bought back the entire company he had just taken public a year earlier. At this point, he called for the return of the shares that he had lent to short sellers. They had 24 hours to comply under exchange rules. The stock price rocketed from $75 to $124 in the first few hours of trading. It looked like Saunders had won a great victory over Wall Street. The victory, however, was fleeting. Hours after the price peaked, the New York Stock Exchange permanently suspended trading in the shares. The concentration of holding meant that it was impossible to have a free market for the stock, and it no longer met their listing requirements. It was basically a privately owned enterprise. Saunders negotiated and settled with the short sellers at $100 per share. While they had lost fortunes, it turned out that there were many fewer short positions out there than Saunders had believed. 
Saunders had bought back his company using borrowed money, and he had paid more for it than he had raised when he took it public a year earlier. He was millions of dollars in debt, and he could no longer sell his shares on the public market to pay off his loans. Desperate, he took out ads in newspapers trying to sell shares to the public, but there were no buyers. Saunders was eventually forced to turn over his stock to the lenders and file for bankruptcy. Sometimes you win the battle and lose the war. Okay, at number seven on our list, we have the short squeeze that came at the end of the dot-com bubble in 1999. Julian Robertson gained notoriety in the late 90s for turning a starting capital of $8 million into over $7 billion in around 15 years. His strategy was to invest in undervalued stocks and to sell short the overvalued securities, a strategy that sounds simple, but very few people managed to do well. During the dot-com bubble, none of the hottest companies were profitable, but investors didn't really care. They used other metrics to value stocks, like the number of customers a business had. The price-to-clicks ratio replaced the price-to-earnings ratio as the basis for valuing internet stocks for a few months in late 1999. Like a number of experienced fund managers, Robertson saw that these stocks were totally overvalued. Stanley Druckenmiller at Soros Fund Management had the same idea. While both were right in the long run, they took their short positions too early. By May of 1999, Druckenmiller was down 18% and began covering his short positions. The squeeze pushed prices even higher. Robertson held on a bit longer, and many argued that the huge price spike in internet stocks at the end of the bubble related to these shorts being covered. Robertson ended up closing his fund in March 2000, right as his bet was about to pay off. Druckenmiller, on the other hand, having covered his short position, flipped to the long side and managed to finish the year up 35%. This example shows that being right about valuation is not always good enough. You have to get the timing right too. Alright, coming in at number 6, we have the legendary Volkswagen spread. Back in 2008, the world market saw the largest short squeeze in history. In the 2000s, a popular investment strategy involved finding two stocks that were fundamentally tied to each other, things like the preferred shares and the ordinary shares of a given company. If one went up while the other went down, a trading opportunity might exist. Investors would buy the cheap shares, sell the overpriced ones. The idea was that the market would eventually come to its senses and the prices would converge. A few hedge funds made a killing in 2001 when SAP chose to retire its preference shares, swapping them for ordinary shares to tidy up their capital structure. The preferred shares were trading at a 20% premium, so traders made huge profits when the two securities converged in price, much more than the 20%, as being a low-risk trade they would have levered this position. When other traders saw these huge returns, they began searching for similar situations so that they could do the same thing. In their search, they all found Volkswagen, where the preference shares traded at a significant discount to the ordinaries. In October 2008, Porsche revealed that it had gained control of 74% of Volkswagen's voting shares. It was also well known that the state of Lower Saxony owned 20% of the shares and would never sell. 
This meant that the shares available to buy on the open market had suddenly dropped to just under 6% of the float. 12% of the shares outstanding had been sold short, so there was no way for every short seller to close out their position. A panicked rush for the exit began, giving us the most extreme short squeeze in Wall Street history. In the midst of the great financial crisis, Volkswagen briefly became the biggest company in the world. Not the biggest car company, but the biggest company. They were even bigger than Tesla. German financial services regulator Bafin announced at the time that it was examining the Volkswagen stock price activity for evidence of insider trading or market manipulation, but no charges were ever pressed. After the share price peaked on the 28th, it fell by 58% over the next four days as the short squeeze loosened. A month later, it was down by 70% from its peak. This didn't prevent painful losses from being incurred by the short sellers who had closed out their positions at stratospheric price levels. Around $30 billion is estimated to have been lost over the few days. Okay, at number five on our list, we have Herbalife. In December 2012, Bill Aikman made a short bet against Herbalife, a nutritional supplements company. He explained his position in a three-hour-long presentation with a massive PowerPoint deck, as was fashionable at the time. He described Herbalife as a pyramid scheme that was certain to go bust. Aikman took a $1 billion short position, while rival hedge fund manager Carl Icahn publicly disagreed and bought up a 26% share in the company. This made him the company's largest shareholder. Even though Herbalife was fined $200 million by regulators for fraudulent practices, the company still managed to turn its fortunes around by improving revenues and cash generation. Over the course of the next six years, Aikman took huge losses on the trade, eventually giving up his short position in the firm. ICANN made over a billion dollars on the trade. At number four on our list, we have Calo Bios, which in November of 2015 was a failed biotech company. It had no revenues and its only drug had just failed its clinical trials. The company was out of cash and was nearly $7 million in debt. The Nasdaq had just notified the company that they would be delisted as they had failed to file a quarterly report. The shares were trading at 44 cents and the company attracted a number of small retail short sellers looking to profit when the price finally fell to zero. The day after the delisting announcement, the company announced that an investor group led by Martin Shkreli had just acquired more than 50% of the company's shares. This shouldn't have mattered much, but surprisingly, the price spiked to over $14 on huge volume. That's a big move from $0.44. After the close on November 19th, they released a second announcement, stating that the group had now acquired a full 70% of outstanding shares and that Shkreli had been appointed as the new CEO and chairman. Shkreli's group had stated that it would inject $3 million in cash with an additional $10 million following shareholder approval. On November 23rd, the stock price briefly hit $45 per share. After this spike, the stock quickly sunk back into the 20s. After all, it was still just a dead company with no product and a lot of debt. 
a $3 million cash injection did not make the company worth its now $200 million market cap. Short sellers piled in, feeling that the squeeze was over. On Thanksgiving Day, when the markets were closed, Shkreli tweeted that he had decided to recall his shares that had been lent out to short sellers. We're starting to see some repeating themes here. The stock spiked back as high as $45 per share and remained elevated for weeks thereafter. The 10,000% squeeze in Calobias was impressive, but ultimately short-lived. Within six weeks, the stock was delisted and shortly after it filed for bankruptcy. Once again, no one won in this situation. Many retail short sellers were wiped out by the squeeze, while their assessment of the fundamentals had been entirely correct. It didn't matter, as they hadn't been able to hold on to their positions. Shkreli was arrested by the FBI on federal fraud charges in December of that year. The fraud charges were unrelated to Calabios. It turned out that Shkreli managed a diversified basket of frauds. Okay, so next on our list at number three is Tesla, which by mid-2020 was the most shorted stock in the world, reflecting Wall Street's view that the company was hugely overvalued. The Tesla short squeeze, while less dramatic than the other examples, may still be one of the worst short squeezes in history. The constant rise of Tesla stock meant that short selling losses added up slowly but consistently over the course of many months. A number of factors contributed to Tesla's surging stock price, including the company's flip from losses to having five successive quarters of profits, its inclusion into the S&P 500 index, and the announcement that Hertz ordered 100,000 cars for its rental fleet, and most of all, an enthusiastic shareholder base of retail investors who love Elon Musk and the products that he makes. Short sellers that bet against Tesla are estimated to have lost a combined $40 billion in 2020 and even more in 2021. Okay, so probably the biggest stock market story of 2021 was, of course, the emergence of retail investors and their involvement in short squeezes in what became known as meme stocks. Even though retail investors have been putting their money to work on Wall Street for more than a century, they've never had such an influence on single stocks as they had this year. It's probably been obvious from the start of this video that I'm working in chronological order and that numbers two and one on my list would be AMC and GameStop. These squeezes initially looked like they would pass quickly like all of our earlier examples, but they continue on to this day. The SEC report on the meme stock short squeeze tells the story of an army of new investors at one point reaching nearly 1 million new traders per day opening brokerage accounts to join the feeding frenzy over these stocks. Whether driven by a desire to squeeze evil short sellers and profit from the rise in the stock price, or by a belief in the fundamentals of these companies, these two companies were big news in 2021. Retail's unwavering love for these two stocks is tied to two main factors, the expectation of a soon-to-arrive short squeeze and a bet on the resurgence of the businesses following the worst of the coronavirus pandemic. It's difficult to give a short summary of events for these stories as the squeezes are still ongoing, but the fact that investors boosted these stocks at a point where they were on the rocks meant that they were able to raise additional capital. 
This meant that they could come out of the pandemic in a significantly better financial shape than they were in at the start. It's not obvious to me based on financial history that overpaying for a stock in this manner makes much sense from an investment point of view, but people are entitled to do what they want with their money. We'll have to wait and see how these squeezes eventually end, but there are possibly lessons investors can take away from the earlier examples that might apply to these stocks. As I've mentioned before on this channel, in the long run, the stock market tends to drift up at around 7 to 10% per year. Short selling is thus a bit like swimming upstream. In many of the examples we covered, even when short sellers were right in the long term about a stock's direction, they still suffered catastrophic losses. You can also see examples of people who try to profit from squeezing a stock who wipe themselves out entirely. You're often better off being on the sidelines in these situations and maybe going for the easy wins. If you do decide to short stocks, you need to have a really good approach to risk management. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, The Daily Upside, by clicking on the link in the description. It's a great newsletter that I can firmly recommend. See you guys later. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.